Oh, glad you're here. Glad to see your faces. Feels like home. Want to uh, give you a chance to do what we do every week. Um, I'm just telling a friend I, I get, I look forward to this moment every week. Um, just getting a chance to, to kind of get my heart right, um, to, to be with you all. And uh, I really look forward to today. I got a story to tell from the Bible that is one of my favorites. Um, you've all heard this story. Even if you're kicking the tires on the God thing and you have never been in church, you've heard this story. But I'm going to put a little different twist on it for you today. Um, and I am really excited about getting a chance to tell you a, a story that matters today. But before we do that, um, what we know, especially those of us around here who have been doing life together for a while, what we know is when we choose to turn down the noise in our life, um, it always pays off. God always does something in our hearts. He always gives us this perspective that we can't get otherwise. So we do this every week, um, uh, almost 10 years now. I've been standing on this stage and giving you a chance and giving myself a chance to get a deep breath. Um, and that is a, uh, a quiet moment, which is as quiet as you can get it with kids screaming and stuff going on, but a moment to just be quiet and say, God, I'm turning down all the noise in my life so that I can turn you up. Um, and as we give God that space in our lives, um, he does some amazing things. And, and I know if, if you're here today or you're listening online, we have a lot of people listening online who have not chosen to, uh, to come and sit in an orange pew yet. And I don't blame you. Church is weird. It's scary. It's not like life, which is actually part of the reason we love it, um, some of us who spend a lot of time doing it. Um, and I don't blame you. There's some hard things going on with church. We'd love to invite you here. But if you're sitting in a car somewhere or e if you're sitting in a pew today and you're not sure you believe all this stuff, this is a great opportunity for you to kind of test the waters a little bit with God. Um, now, when I say test the waters, what I mean is um, God, whether you believe in him or not, he believes in you. Um, and he has given you the opportunity to, uh, to, to spend time with him. And even if you're not sure you completely believe, this is a great opportunity. You're going to sit here anyway. You might as well try it. Um, to just take a deep breath, turn down all the stuff in your life, all the anxieties, all the frustrations, even the good stuff. Just kind of turn the volume down a little bit um, and allow God to, to say something to you. And what we mean by that is he won't, you won't hear his voice audibly, I don't think. It's never happened to me. Um, but what you start to understand, you start to feel something different. You start to feel perspective. You start to feel what's most important, and you start to get nudged on a few things. Um, and it's, it's something we've all become really accustomed to and really excited about. And so let's get to that space together, um, about a minute of quiet, and then I'll close this, that time in prayer, and we'll jump right in this morning. Good, I hear the kids worshiping back there, or whatever they're doing. I hear the water in the baptistry, and I hear babies crying and cooing. And the quiet of this moment, we remember that we were built for this moment in time. God, it's so hard for us to live here and now. 
We want to live tomorrow. We want to we want to think about what's next. We want to worry about our schedule. We, you know, some of us are even worried about something we put in the oven before we left, the crock pot. Everything's about the future to us if we're not careful. And so we pause right now to accept this moment. Not only do we accept it, but we kind of pause our lives so that you could speak into this moment. That we would suspend the decisions we've made. We would suspend the calendar we've created. We would hold all of it loosely based on what you say next. God, I'm praying especially for my friends in the room today who aren't sure about what they believe. Would you give them just this calm that they don't have to fake it, that they don't have to try hard? It's funny to thinking about closing our eyes and squeezing and trying to have faith. It's not what you intend for us. So would you give us a moment of peace, especially those who aren't sure today? And God, those who have professed you, those who have chosen you, those who have decided to live a life that honors you, God, would you give us the next step, the next moment of energy to be closer to who you want us to be? God, would you guide this ancient story? I can't imagine how many ears have heard this story in the last 3,000 years. Would you make this story do what you intended for it to do? Would you allow me to bring out things in it that will apply to what we're going through right now and will we stagger away from this place today with a word from the Creator and we'll listen in your son's name. Amen. So I kind of set it up in my prayer. The story I'm going to tell you today is 3,000 years old um, and you've heard it. In fact, my guess is if you can fog a mirror today, you know the story of David and Goliath. But what I'd like to do, I'd love for you to, to kind of hold loosely some of the things you've heard about it today. Um, and I, I, this is always a, a hard thing for me to do when I'm telling an old story like this because we have done some things with these stories. Um, we've made up some things. Just like when my, when my dad tells stories, he's one of the best storytellers I've ever known. Um, when my dad tells stories, there are things that, that he tells and things that sort of evolve over time. He's not a liar in any way, but he'll tell something and it'll sort of be an exaggeration and the next time he tells it, it'll be a little different and then my son will tell it and he'll exaggerate it a little more and by the end of it, that fish wasn't this big, it was this big, you know? And we have done that with some of the stories in the Bible. And this story that, that I'm going to tell you today about David and Goliath is one of those stories. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll tell these stories and we'll make them up and they'll get bigger and bigger and bigger and we'll add things to them and we'll, we'll presuppose some things and then we'll, we'll take what we know of our culture and we'll add it to the story. And before you know, we end up using the story of David and Goliath to talk about a small college beating a, a Michigan during a football season, right? It's a David and Goliath battle. And we've completely missed the point of the story. I believe there are some major, major things in the story of David and Goliath that aren't just good stories, that aren't just about a, a little kid beating up a big guy, that, that are important not just to, to your life right here, because I believe they're important to that, and if you'll listen today, you'll see what I mean by that, but I also believe that they're important to God's story, and what I mean by that is that from the beginning of time, God has not just spun the world and let it revolve, and then watch it and hope it all turns out right. From the beginning of time, God has had a plan that involves all the stories you hear when you come to church on Sunday. It involves the story I'm about to tell you now, but it also involves your story. And he has a plan for your story 
to add to the story, the big story, and there is a beginning, a middle, and an end to this story, just like any stories that he has planned for life. So I want you to think this morning about the story of David and Goliath. I want you to think about how it fits into the story, the big picture of, the, of, the, of God's history, but then also how it fits um, into your life. And I'm going to help you do that today, I hope. Um, I've rehearsed this a little bit. Um, normally when I preach, I don't normally like rehearse um, but I, there are some things I wanted to say specifically in this story, and I've tried it today, so we're going to see what happens. Um, but I, I want to start with um, the, the little boy David. Um, and I, I want you to know a little bit about David. I'm going to pick some things apart um, about this story today. I think it should be really fun for you. But it's also, especially if you're somebody who is a Christian or you've been reading the Bible a long time, there are going to be some things that you're like, well, I've never heard that before, or I'm not sure about that. Um, I would really encourage you to not take my word for anything you hear today. Now, that, that said, I'm, I've prayed about this, and I want everything I say to be true. I want you to dig deeper. So if there's something you hear today that, that doesn't mesh with what you've thought of before, Lisa and I have talked about this a lot, dig into this thing and learn a little bit more about this. You're going to hear me talk about not just things from, from Scripture, but also from history. And this, this boy David was a different kind of kid. Um, in fact, I think about him. When I think of David, I can't help but think of um, my son, Reese. Reese is eight years old, and this week um, we went swimming, and we were in the pool, and Risha looked over at Reese, and she looked at me, and she said, those swim trunks he has on right now? I said, yeah. She pulled up a picture from four years ago, when he was four years old. He's eight now. These are them. (laughs) He's been wearing the same swim trunks for four years. He is a skinny, scrawny, little 70-pound, dripping wet dude. I don't think he weighs that much. He tells people he weighs that much, but I think he has to be holding something heavy to weigh 70 pounds. He is scrawny. He is skinny. He is wiry. Um, and I, I think David was like this. It, Reese had this terrible time when he went to school because he loves sports. He loves athletics. He had this terrible time when he went to school, and you know this, the consummate picked last kid, you know? He was the one that was picked last for dodgeball. I mean, I'll never forget the time he came home and he said, Dad, I don't know why they picked me last at dodgeball. I'm the skinniest guy out there. I'm the hardest guy to hit, you know. But they picked him last because he's little and he's skinny and he's just. And one or two things happens to a kid like that. And I'm so proud of of what my my son chose. One or two things happens. Either the kid becomes this, this little Napoleon syndrome. You know what that is, this grumpy little, like, I'm going to beat everybody up, this this little bulldog kind of uh, attitude, or, and, and they, they, ne- they still get picked last, and they kind of pout, and then they get mad, and, or they just become the hardest working kid on the floor when it comes to basketball. They become the, the, the best uh, kickball player that he can possibly be at 70 pounds. They begin, and this is what Reese began. He decided, I'm going to have to prove to people that I am big enough, strong enough, and fast enough to be on their teams. And so rather than pout and get grumpy and and uh, pretend that he was bigger than he is, he just decided, I'm going to work harder than everybody else. And he got this attitude about him where he became the leading scorer in his basketball team, smallest and leading scorer. Leading rebounder, which is what I'm most proud of. Tiniest little guy on the court gets the most rebounds. That only happens because you're the hardest working kid on the court. Reese became that. I'm so proud of that. And I need you to know that didn't come from me. I think that came from his mom. And she's that kind of a person. And she's also a little tiny. Um, but, But David was like this. He grew up in a house full of boys who were big, handsome, great-looking guys who were thought of as leaders, who were thought of as athletes, who were thought of as warriors. And David was the youngest and the little guy, the scrawny one. He was always thought of as the guy that was sort of the one you picked last. 
funny thing about, Dan, about David is that God saw David differently than everyone else. In fact, God always sees people differently than humans do. I, I always wonder what would happen if God had a Facebook account, you know? Like, how would God react to Facebook accounts? I, I got off Facebook recently. I actually, I still have an account, but I don't look at it because I started realizing what I want on Facebook is another button. You know, you have the like, and now they've got the heart, and I want, like, a grow-up button, you know? And I want, like, a you've-got-to-be-kidding-me, another picture of your daughter button, you know? And I want these buttons that don't bring out the best in me. When I see people, I don't think the best of them, and I, I, I kind of pass by the things that, that make me feel good, and I go right to the things where I judge people. And it was bringing things out of me I didn't like. It, Facebook and even Tinder and some of the things that we do with social media right now are the epitome of sort of judging a book by its cover, right? Well, here's what God says about David in 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, who was a guy who, was, who, was, who God set apart to sort of pick the next king. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. This is when he was, t- he was looking at David's brothers. Samuel's looking at David's brothers and decided, I'm going to pick, God, God is leading me to the next king out of this family, and I, I'm looking at all of David's brothers, and then there's this little scrawny guy. And the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. That is the brothers of David. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord, he looks at the heart. Should be a good, good news for those of you who today feel like the world's against them. Because of the way you look, or because of how much money you have, because of what you drive, because of what your house looks like, because of how high your yard gets when your mower's broken. All of those things that you know that people are judging you for, God doesn't look at. And you should take heart in that today, because God looks through, and you've heard me say this before, that God looks through all of the things that you look through. God looks through all of the things that the world looks through, and he pushes them aside, and he dives deeply into the heart. I told Reese this should be on the walls of his bedroom as he grows up. Because he is the littlest guy. God doesn't look at height. God looks at the heart. Well, David, as he grew up, he became a shepherd. And and, and many of you that know the story of David know that there's a a Jewish culture that tells this story on a regular basis. The Jewish culture and the Christian culture use the story of David a lot. And the story I'm going to tell you today may be the most used and potentially the most misused story in all of the Bible. And it involves David growing up as a shepherd. He becomes a really, really good protector of sheep. Which I know sounds like a funny little thing to say, but the truth is, sheep were incredibly valuable, and his job was really important. His job was not just to keep the sheep in the same place, and not just to keep them um, all gathered, but it was to keep them safe. And in that point in history, without any fences, without any way of keeping them sort of together, he, he basically had to keep watch all the time. And you can imagine what it would be like to be 12, 13 years old, have to spend the night out in the elements with these sheep all night and one eye open waiting for the next bear or the next wolf. And so he began to be really good at what, what unfortunately we have sort of started to think of as a slingshot. You know what a slingshot is, right? I, I made these myself when I was a kid. We'd take an old rubber inner tube out of a bike and we would strap them over a stick that kind of made a Y like that. And we'd take rocks and we'd shoot it through. Now, that's what we consider to be a slingshot. And many people have kind of imposed that on David, that somehow he had this cheap little wooden thing with, a, with rubber or with some sort of a rope on it that he would hold back and he would kill things with. That is not what David used to protect the sheep. What David used was actually called a sling. 
It was not a slingshot. It was called a sling. And it was one of the most important tools in all of battle at that point in history. In fact, if you were in the, the uh, military at that point in history, you would, you would either be an infantry person, you would, have, you, you would be hand-to-hand combat, or you would be on cavalry, you'd be on horses, or you would have what many considered to be the most important and the most skilled job in the military, and that was a slingman. They called them slingers, they called them slingmen, pretty cool name too. I, I'm a, what do you do for a living? I'm a slinger, you know? This is not a toy. This is not something you pick up at the dollar store. This is something that would have had a leather, sort of a leather pouch that David would have made himself, and that has ropes, two long strings, ropes that hang out, usually in, in the four-foot range. Now, he was a little guy, so he may have made a custom one a little smaller. But they would have been these long ropes. And the way you do it, you'd hold it together and you'd put some sort of projectile in it. And you, it would be either a really smooth stone or um, something that, that would fly really straight. And you would start slinging it. That's where it came from. You'd start r- rotating it around. And it, got to, it would get to the point where if you got good enough at it, uh, you're building up some serious rotations per second. You know, and it would, he would get it really moving. And if, uh, there's techniques where they show these guys, rather than moving their whole arms, they just move their wrist because you can move it a lot faster. And they would get really, really good. And this is what David did with his life. This is what he did with his life. He walked around the sheep and did this. <laughs> his heroes were slingers from battle. And that he became so accurate with this thing that he could, he could knock down. There are stories where people say, now I don't know about David, but there are stories where people say from 200 yards, you could get enough velocity and enough accuracy with a sling, if you were good enough, to kill a, a bear. And you'd have to hit him in the right place, and you'd have to really get this thing running. But a forty-five caliber bullet is about how fast they believe a slinger, a real slinger, can get this thing going. It wasn't a toy. It wasn't a slingshot that David was good at. This wasn't an accident. D- David got so good with this thing, what happened was he would let one rope go just at the right time. This is the way a sling, sh- a sling would work. He would let ro- one rope go just at the right time, and the bullet would go it perfectly on that trajectory. And one day, the Israelite army and, and, and the Philistine army came to an impasse. And the way they would do it at this point in history is they would come usually to two big hills when it came to a big, a big fight. And the winner, in this case, would take half of Israel. So basically what the Philistines wanted to do is they wanted to go up to Israel and they wanted to cut it in half and sort of take half of the the country at one time and then take the rest. So they got up to this, this valley, which you can still visit today. I've been there. And it is one of the prettiest places in all of Israel. Beautiful valley. And there are two hills. Up on this hill, you can see all of Israel. And from this hill, you can see the people that want to take you. So Israel is on this hill, and the Philistines are on this hill, and they do, they come to this impasse. And you'll, you'll see here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the Philistines were on a hill, and the Israelites on the opposing hill with a valley in between them. And then they do what, what is, is all throughout history. Um, it is, it is a, a moment where they decide we don't want as much bloodshed is, is what's going to happen here. They all can see what's coming. So what we'd like to do is we would like to send out one person kind of the epitome of our warriors, to the, to the center of the valley, and you send out the epitome of your warriors to the center of the valley, and whoever wins gets to take the battle. And it saves the bloodshed, it gets through all that. It's a really cool way of saving bloodshed. And of, now, sometimes they, they wouldn't honor that agreement. But in this case, a giant, and now here's where, here's where the translations of the Bible get a little bit 
um, a little bit vague and where, where we start making up some things if we're not careful. A giant, and this translation is from the translation called The Message, nearly 10 feet tall. Now, historians say that that 10 feet in translation could be somewhere around 6 foot 9. Or it could be 10 feet, and I, I, that, that, I'm not here to argue which is true today. Uh, one way or the other, a, an enormous human being stood as the representative of the Philistines. Now, at this point in history, if he was six foot nine, he would have seen like a giant, because you know this if, you, if you've uh, studied anatomy or if you've gone through um, history class at school, that, that humans have grown throughout time. The average human has grown. So a six foot nine human being would seem absolutely huge. I'm going to tell you more about this giant in a little bit. A giant nearly 10 feet tall stepped out from the Philistine line into the open. Goliath from Goth. Doesn't it sound like a movie scene? And part of the reason it sounds like a movie scene is because you've heard it so many times. The word Goliath has been used to, to represent big, good teams, good basketball teams, or huge things, or big things that don't even have to do with battle or with humans. He had a bronze helmet on his head and was dressed in armor. I'm hoping you're picturing this. 126 pounds of armor. Now, that 126 pounds can have different translations, too. Some people say it's, it's as little as 100 and as much as 150 pounds. He was full of armor, and he's a big, strong dude, okay? He wore bronze shin guards and carried a bronze sword. His spear was like a fence rail, and the spear tip alone weighed over 15 pounds. So if you picture this, two huge armies sending one representative each. Now, here's what would happen. And this might be something you didn't know. This might be, if you've heard this story a, a lot of times, maybe this is something you didn't know. That what would happen is not just um, one time. It's not just that they sent Goliath out one time and he said, who should, who sh you know, send out your best and they sent David immediately. This was a long time, a period of many, many days. You're going to hear that in a second. A period of many, many days that Goliath would come out and he would say, send out your best. And he would wait. Send out your best. And he would wait, and he would stand there, and finally he'd get tired, and he'd go back day after day after day. Now, here's where I want, want you to bring this to your life for a second. What kind, of, what kind of giants are you facing right now? What is it in your life that seems bigger than you could possibly handle? I'd like for you to hold that in suspense today. I'd like for you just to hold it. And I know some, I know some of them, for some of you, I prayed with you about it this morning before we even started. I know some of your giants. I'd like, to, like for you to, to, uh, to think of your giant today as we go through. What is it your big trouble in your life? See, what happens next, 1 Samuel 17. Next slide there, Tanya. When Saul and his troops heard the Philistines' challenge, they were terrified, and they lost all hope. I talked to a few of you today whose giants have put you in this place, where you've lost all hope. Maybe you've tried over and over and over, or that person just can't seem to get it, or this situation doesn't seem to change, and over and over and over, you've come to a point where you have just lost hope. And verse 12 says, enter David. When I, when I think of that, I say, enter Reese. <laughs> 70 pounds dripping wet. In this corner, we have what the world would think of as nothing. He weighs less than the armor of his Goliath. Now today, as you think about your trouble, as you think about the, the giant in your life, you often think of it this way, right? 
this big thing that you don't have power over, this big thing that is too strong, too big, too out of your control to do anything with. This is the way they felt. David was the son of Jesse from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse was the father of eight sons. Now, I put this up here today because I want you to hear this from the, from the words of Samuel. This is not a made-up story. And I think part of the reason this part of the scripture is so cool, there's a whole bunch of stuff you won't understand here, but he is naming human beings that actually lived. And we can go back through history and see. He wants you to know that this isn't a made-up story. This is real life, and there were real people involved. He says, Jesse, the father of eight sons, was himself too old to join Saul's army. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. The names of the three sons, just so you know they're real and we're not just making this up, who had joined up with Saul were Eliab, the firstborn, big dude. Next, uh, Abinadab, which was another big dude. And third was Shema. David was the youngest. While his three oldest brothers went to war with Saul, David went back and forth from attending to Saul to tending to his father's sheep in Bethlehem. So they're sitting up on this hill and David goes back and forth all day long. He is the servant of the king, of, of Saul at that point, and he's going out, kind of tending to him, and then once he gets Saul kind of taken care of, he flies back, runs as fast as he can back to take care of his sheep because he has two jobs. His, nobody has thought of David as anything other than a servant. Each morning and evening, here it is, for 40 days, Goliath took his stand and made his speech. So when we tell this story to our kids, we often act like it, it all happened at one time. But this is over a long period of time, just like your giant. Just like that thing that you feel like you is bigger than you that you can't tackle. Maybe it's, it's over time, it's just worn a path in your brain. Over time, it's sort of scared you to the point where you've become numb to it. This is what happened with Goliath. And it's amazing. It took a little tiny guy named David to change the conversation. Can you imagine what the conversation was? It was like, oh, here's that big scary guy again. Who wants to face him? King Saul started saying, I'll tell you what, anybody who will face him and will beat him, I'll take care of their family for the rest of their lives. You'll be rich. I'll give you money. I'll give you stuff. Just go out there and face him. And they all go, no, 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 no. We don't want anything to do with that. And it took a little guy named David who nobody thought of to change the conversation. He said, who is this guy? Who is this thing? This uncircumcised Philistine, that is this person who doesn't even obey God, doesn't even want anything to do with God. Who is this guy that he should defy the armies of the living God? This little tiny guy. I, I picture him saying something like this. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He's probably in puberty. I mean, it's, it's a joke, right? But it took the littlest guy in the room to change the conversation. And at this moment, it just took one person. It just took one person who believed that the giant was beatable, who believed that they didn't have to live like this, that life didn't have to come to an impasse where you just had to accept the giant was going to be there every morning when you woke up. It just took one person who said, what if he's not as big as you think he is? So, what if? Your giant isn't as big as you think he is. You have a chance to change the conversation. David knew something that it seemed that either nobody else knew or had forgotten. 
This is a group of people who God had over and over and over blessed and had performed these incredible, miraculous things. I mean, this is the same group of people, now generations removed, but the same group of people who God, le- who got, God got out of Egypt and then split the Red Sea so that their ancestors could walk across. And they're going, yeah, but I know God can do those kinds of things, but that big dude scares me. <laughs> and David's like, you guys have lost your mind. Did you think you were in this alone? Here's what he says. David says, in verse 26, oh, I just said that. Who is this guy? He completely changed the conversation. And then, next slide, Tanya, he says this. You come at me with the sword. He comes out, and David says, this, this guy's going to come at you with the sword. This guy is going to come at you with things that, that you've already defeated before because of God. So David does this thing. You've heard this part of the story, I'm sure. David walks up, and he says to King Saul, well, I'll fight him. More like this, well, I'll fight him. King Saul says, guys, did you, hear the, did you hear the shepherd boy? Did you hear this dude? He says he'll fight him. And my guess is King Saul uses it as an opportunity to kind of chastise his men. All of you guys are not brave. Even this little guy says he'll fight him. Hey, that's good, David. By the way, get me another drink and then go back and take care of the sheep. No, I'll fight him. He finally is so insistent that Saul says, all right, you can fight him. This is so cool. If you look at this story the way it's written, he says, you can fight him, but you need some armor. Now, David had never worn armor in his life. He had never put armor on at that point in his life. They didn't make him small enough. You know, nobody, nobody makes armor small enough for that little guy. So Saul puts his own armor on David, and it's just huge. I mean, it just looks funny. It looks like when Reese wears my T-shirt to bed. You know, it's just, it's ridiculous, and he looks stupid, and he felt stupid. So he got rid of all the armor, and he went out, and it's not just because of David's faith. You need to know this today. Because if you're not careful, you'll say, yeah, David can beat his giant because he has giant faith, but I don't have enough faith, and my giant is too big for me. That's the story that we often say. We often say the reason David beat the giant is because he had faith, but you need to know it was more than that, that it's just available, as available to you as it was to David. At that moment, David got rid of all his armor. Yes, it took bravery. Yes, it took him getting tired of the same conversation and of the giant in his life, waking up to that same fear every morning. But at one point, he changed the conversation and he said, I'll fight him. He shedded his armor and he knew something. He knew that he had something in his back pocket, literally. That he had something he had been working on. You know, while shepherds watched their sheep during the day, wolves and bears, didn't. there was no risk. So during the day, they would set up things, pretending they were, and they would, all day long, he would shoot that sling until he became very accurate. No one else probably knew that David was good with a sling at that point in history. Now we all know. David knew. So he walks out with no armor on. And and David hears this giant say again, who will come and fight me? I will, he says some really crazy things. I, he says, uh, Goliath actually says some things like, I will feed them to the, to the birds of the air. And he starts kind of trash talking. And nobody will trash talk back except for this little guy. David answered, you come at me with a sword and spear and battle axe. Everybody went, yeah, David. I come at you in the name of God. In the name of God of the angel armies. The God of Israel's troops, whom you curse and mock. This very day, God is handing you over to me. (laughs) Ha 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 ha! I mean, you can can write the movie script, right? 
He's handing you over to me. Everybody laughs, and David interrupts. He even goes further. I'm about to kill you, just in case you wondered about my trash talk. Let me make it real clear. I'm going to kill you. I used to watch John Wayne movies when I, when I was growing up, and I remember Big Jake. There's this scene in Big Jake where they're all kind of at a standoff, and all the good guys have guns, and all the bad guys have guns, and they're all pointing them at each other, and John Wayne looks at the main villain, and he says, I don't know what's going to go down here in a minute. I don't know who's going to shoot who and who's going to die, but I know one thing. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and it's like this moment of, ugh, you know, if you're a guy in a guy movie. This is David, little tiny guy. John Wayne was a big scary guy. David looks at the giant and says, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I know this. I'm going to kill you. I would be elated today. If we walked out of this building, And those of you who have been facing this giant every morning for how many years could just, with the grace of God and with the confidence that comes with knowing you're not alone, can say, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I'm going to take care of this giant because I'm not in it alone. I'm about to kill you. Oh, uh, let me tell you how. I'm going to cut off your head. And then I'm going to serve up your body and the bodies of your Philistine buddies over there to the crows and the coyotes. Now it's not funny. The whole earth will know. What, that David's a good shot with a sling and he cut off Goliath's head? No, look at this. The whole earth will know. There's an extraordinary God in Israel. And everyone gathered here will learn that God doesn't save by means of sword and spear. He doesn't need it. The battle belongs to God, and he's handing you to us on a platter. (laughs) This is cool trash talk. Uh, Let me just tell you something really practical today, okay? Allison's not here to do her cool little art thing with notes, so write this down yourself. just won't be as pretty. If you're going through something right now that's that everyday giant in your life, would you write down that piece of scripture? Tanya, go back one slide so they can write it down. Just get up in the morning. This is actually from a message of the, or a translation of the Bible called The Message. I like The Message because it's easy to read. If you go to BibleGateway.com, you can see a ton of different translations there. Read this in the morning. Just read it. The answer that David has and the confidence that he has when it comes to his giant. <laughs> Facing your giants every morning. First, you've got to get up like David did. You've got to stand up. You've got you to say, I've had enough. If you've got a marriage that's broken and it just seems to be in this trudgery, this daily mess, you need to get up and change the conversation. You need to do something different. You need to get prepared. Whatever that means, you need to be prepared spiritually. You need to be prepared. You need to do the research to find out how you need to beat this giant and then get some perspective. Next slide there, Tony. I love this. Well, that roused the Philistine. (laughs) Yeah, you think? And he started down towards David. David took off from the front line, running towards the the Philistine. David reached into his pocket for a stone, and he slung it. Now, don't get the picture of the dollar store toy. We're talking about seven rotations per second, probably. And then let go of one of those ropes. And when he did, with the accuracy and the velocity of a 45 caliber pistol, he hit Goliath right in the most vulnerable spot he could see. He hit the Philistine hard in the forehead, 
embedding the stone deeply, and the Philistine crashed face down in the dirt. You know, what's interesting about this story, if you think about it, and you read it on these terms, this was a huge surprise to Goliath first. (laughs) It was a huge surprise to the Philistines' army. It was a huge surprise to Israel. Guess who wasn't surprised? David. Because how many bears had he killed? And this guy was just standing still. Bear you have to hit. How many birds had he killed? There are stories about uh, shepherds who would eat in the field, and, and he probably killed many flying birds. This guy's standing still, waiting for him. David wasn't surprised. In fact, he predicted it. That's how David beat the Philistine. With a sling and a stone. He hit him and killed him. No sword for David. Then, he did get a sword. Then David ran up to the Philistine, stood over him, pulled the giant's sword from his sheath, and finished the job by cutting his head off. When the Philistines saw that their great champion was dead, they scattered, running for their lives. Now, when I was a kid, I remember I heard this story. and I heard, People were so scared of David. The Philistine armies were so scared of David that they ran for their lives. That's not, I don't believe that for a second. See, what that does is that starts to, to hyperbolize this story to a place where it feels like it doesn't have any application to you. Because who would be scared of a 15-year-old, 16-year-old, 130-pound kid? Even if he killed Goliath, an army could overtake him. What we know is that this battle was about if you beat our best, if your best beats our best, we go away. That's what happened. They did what they said they were going to do, and they were gone. They scattered, probably confused. Now, here's the thing. Anybody know who this guy is? Andre the Giant. Man, it makes me think of the old WWF movie, the stretchy WWF characters, you know. Man, I'm dating myself now. Here's why I have Andre the Giant up here today, because here's, here's the thing you need to know. I, this is what, I, I studied this a lot. This has been about a month I've been working on this sermon, and I've studied this a lot. I believe that Goliath probably had a disease that he shared with Andre the Giant. It's a disease that is a, a tumor in your brain, that it actually attaches and presses and grows on the pituitary gland in your brain. And what happens is, when that, when that happens, it, it, it releases, it continues to release human growth hormones, um, which you know right now, all kinds of celebrities and, and athletes are using to continue this growth and strength, and it's basically steroids. And it's this human growth hormone that your body produces when, when this, when this um, uh, tumor presses on the pituitary gland and it what it happens is the, the you just continue to grow you grow up you grow out you grow big you get huge but it causes some other problems Andre the Giant had these problems and as I've read I've, I've, I've read these actual doctors really really cool come see me afterwards if you want to find out um, where to look for this but you can just google um, the disease um, that uh, that both Andre the Giant and what they believe Goliath probably had it's a disease that causes giantism some people, it grows different parts of their body. It makes their nose big, or it causes a tumor to grow out of their head, or re- really scary things. And some people, it just causes giantism. But usually, you die pretty quickly. Um, most people don't live very long with this, with this disease. And it causes some other things. One of the things it causes is vision problems. In fact, there's, you can read through this whole story of David and Goliath, and you can see that at one point in the story, every morning, there is an attendant of the Philistine armies that leads Goliath out to, to the battlefield. He leads him out to the valley. And at first, thing, you just think, oh, well, he's got like this little servant. But, 
the more you start realizing, well, why does this big guy need somebody to lead him out to the middle of the valley? I think the possibility is that he was nearly blind. That he was such a big dude and he was such a strong dude that when it came to fighting hand-to-hand combat, he could just see blurs and just kill you. You're dead. you got a sword. He's got all the armor he needs. Anybody who comes close to him, he's going to kill. I think he was probably blind. Here's the thing about giants. Your giant included. (laughs) It's not as strong as you think it is. It's not as big and terrifying as you think. I was reading about Andre the Giant this week. Some of his opponents said he was one of the most soft-hearted people. And, you know, WWF, I hate to ruin this for you if you're a WWF fan, but it's not real. I know, I know, I know. We can talk about that later. We'll pray with you. But Andre the Giant had the hardest time acting because he would, o- he would often look at somebody, and his vision wasn't very good. He would also often look at somebody who was acting like they were hurt, and he would get mistaken for maybe actually hurting them, and he would back away. And they actually had to teach him different techniques for understanding whether somebody was hurt because he just had such a soft heart. This big giant of a guy couldn't fight anybody in real life. For one thing, he was too soft, and the other thing is he couldn't see. And he had physical problems. He moved really, really slowly. If you read through this story, verse by verse, you'll see that Goliath also, uh, the the writer also talks about how slow Goliath moved because he had a hard time walking. He had bone problems. Giant wasn't as big and strong as he might have looked. One of the things that's happened with this story is that we've made Goliath bigger than he was. We've made Goliath stronger than he was. We've made Goliath bigger than life. We've made up things about him. And we've created him to a point where it made David bigger than he was. And it would have meant that David had to be stronger than he was. And that David had to be better than he was. And the truth is, David and you and me have more in common than you believe. Or than you've been led to believe when it comes to this story. That in your life, you have been given the gift of not facing your giants by yourself. The reason God put this in the story of the Bible, I believe, is so that those who would come behind him, and how many people have been told this story in the last 3,000 years? And every time, God, they, they read where David says, God did this. Everyone will know that God is the one who beat Goliath. Giant slaying whether yours or David's, is about changing your focus. If you focus on the giants, which is true of you right now, you stumble. If you focus on God first, your, your giants tumble. You know me, I, I want this to hit rubber to hit the road as quickly as possible in these sermons. Band, you guys can come on up. I want you to know today that the God who made a miracle out of David's story is ready to make one out of yours. Whatever you got going on today. Do you know how many, how many in this room right now, I won't embarrass you, do you know how many giants have been slayed just from people who are sitting in orange, orange pews today? Those of you who are, have been addicted to something, if I'd have come to you 10 years ago and said, one day you'll be, you'll be clean, be married, you'll be serving God. (laughs) 
just a fairy tale. Because my giant is too big. And now you have been able to say, because I didn't do it alone, God is big enough to help me slay my giant. Today I'd like for you to know that your giants aren't as tough as they seem. Whatever they are this morning. But there's an inroad. There's a way to fix it. There's a way to move forward. And in some cases, I've seen it over and over as a preacher, in some cases, fixing it may look different than you think it does. Or moving forward may look different than you think it does. But I believe sincerely that the giants in your life aren't as tough as you think they are. And then I'd like to tell you today, what, what would have happened? What would have happened if David hadn't have showed up out there? <laughs> they, may, they may have stayed there until they died, both sets of people. Don't, don't battle your giants alone. David said, I'm not living like this. I'm, I'm going to stop living, getting up every morning scared of that thing. I'm going to stop every morning with the same thing running through my brain that my life would be different if it weren't for that, but that's just too big for me to tackle. And David changed the conversation from being about him facing it to being about God helping him face it. Let me tell you today, do not settle for fear of giants in your life. Don't settle for living your life scared of something. There's some of you in here who have relationships that are so bad they've become your Goliath. And you've just decided, it's the way it is. I'm going to get up every morning and I'm going to see the, the giant in the valley. And I'm just going to have to live in fear. Some of you have had an addiction that you haven't even told anybody about. If the percentages are right, and they may be even higher in this place. The men in this building are, many of you, addicted to pornography as we sit here. And you've decided, just who I am. Yeah, it's ruining my marriage. Yeah, it's ruining my relationship. It's just too big. I don't know how to stop. You need to know today that that giant, too, is weaker than you think. And that with the help of the same God that was with David, you can beat your giant. For David, it took, he picked five smooth stones. You know, if David had been the faith giant that we said he is, he would have only needed one, right? Truth is, David, David wasn't positive. He wasn't sure. All he knew was that God was big enough and he wasn't going to live like that anymore. Today might be your day whether it's a sin in your life that you can't get rid of, whether it's a relationship that you haven't fixed, whether it's a problem that you have been pretending doesn't exist but keeps coming to the valley every morning and you keep accepting it, don't live another day without facing it with the creator of the universe. That's enough for me. I'm going to be right back there in that room this morning. I'll be glad to pray with you. If you're a Christian person, if you're a person um, who is a, a follower of God, or if you're kicking the tires on that and you're kind of deciding that you think there is a God, I'd like to invite you today to come right up here on these stairs. We do this every now and then around here. Not because we believe there's anything about these stairs, but there is something about stepping out of that orange pew and walking up here to say, today is my day. I'm not facing that giant alone, and I am not ignoring it any longer. Would you, during this song, step up here and kneel on these stairs? 
and pray that God will help you face your giant. And I'll be right back there if you want to pray with me, if there's anything I can do. We're going to ask you to stand and sing this song this morning. It's called, It Is Well With My Soul. It can be well with yours today if you join the fight with God.